Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, she is fresh off of two medals at the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games, including gold and a world record, the women's 4x100 freestyle relay. Today, we are sitting down with Bronte Campbell. Bronte, how's it going? Hello, Coleman. How are you doing? No complaints here. Just uh, it, it's it's a rainy day in Austin. How are you doing? You're almost done with quarantine. I am. So two weeks of quarantine off the back of Tokyo. We were up in Howard Springs, which is up near Darwin. So today is my last full day, and then I, I get out tomorrow, and I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, I've I've talked to a few Australians about this very unique experience of of the high of an Olympic games right into two weeks of being alone with your thoughts. What have you made of it? You know, being at the tail end of it, um, how, what have you thought of, of that extreme change of scenery? Yeah, it is really extreme. We always talk about Olympic whiplash, which is when you come home and everything's like back at normal and it feels very weird. Like did the Olympics just happen? And this is like a way more extreme version of that where you've gone from the Olympics to just being shut in a room for two weeks. So it is it is pretty odd, but um, it's it's a good, you can make of it what you will, right? Like we all have to be here. So just trying to make it the best I can. <laughs> through, try to get through all my uni work and um, fill up the days with, with things and just have a chance to reflect before you get back into... Um, into well normal life I guess not that when I go back it'll be normal because everything will be in in lockdown where I live anyway but um, before you have to go back and and talk to people about it um, that's pretty big normally you get back from the Olympics and everyone wants to talk to you about it all your friends and family and sometimes you're just you're not quite ready to to speak about it yet like it's quite fresh so um, in that sense it's actually not so bad that you've got a bit of time and a bit of distance between whatever has happened um, before you have to do those um, face-to-face things. And realistically, with a lot of the country in lockdown, you're not going to do those same bits where you have to um, go to big social gatherings or big events and things like that, which is when it gets really tiresome because strangers are asking about your innermost um, thoughts and feelings <laughs> constantly, which does get a bit exhausting. But, um, yeah, it's um, I'm, I'm very happy for it to be over. I cannot wait to be underwater somewhere there's obviously no way to swim when you're in quarantine and um i just miss the feeling of swimming somewhere i swim every day at the beach normally at least if even if i'm not training or when i am training so looking forward to it a lot (laughs) so speaking of strangers asking about your innermost thoughts and feelings uh what do you what do you what do you feel like uh, you gain from those two weeks just in terms of, of processing that Olympic experience. Um, I mean, do you do you do you feel ready to talk about it? And if not, we don't have to. Oh, that's so nice. No, I agreed to talk to you about it. <laughs> um, 
Um, no, I mean, for me, that wasn't, it wasn't anything big or negative to process. Like I, I loved my experience over there. Um, I was really happy with how I swam and then happy with how the team went. And um, yeah, there's, there's no big emotions for me to process. I was actually like going into the games. It was very different for me this time. Um, not having an individual race, just having relays, which is, and not I've actually never done that before. I've always had individual races. So um, it was very different. And um, for me, it was just about sitting back and doing my best for the relay team, but then also um, contributing to the team in other ways because I didn't have such a big schedule. I could spend a lot more time um, with the team, trying to make the team gel a little bit more and making sure I was putting my energy into the other people who were competing and trying to hold them up and get them ready and keep them relaxed and, and using the energy that I'd normally put into my races that way, which um, was really nice. And um, it was a really nice way to go through the games. And I mean, we had a fantastic meet as a team, which is always, um, always gets your spirits up when you see all your teammates getting to achieve their dreams. So yeah, even though I didn't have individual races, I felt like, I still did a really, a really fun and a really fulfilling meet. That's cool. That's, that's, that, I mean, that's really cool. Um, I always, that was always my favorite part of a swim meet is, is being with the team and cheering for my teammates. Probably why I didn't make it very far in swimming, but. Uh, <laughs> that's everyone's favorite part. It's gotta be, it's so good. It's, it's so good. Uh, however, um, Going back to trials, were you pleased with your performances there, even though, as you said, you didn't have individual swims heading into Tokyo Games? Um, is, is that what you had expected heading into trials? Yes, I was really happy with how I swam at trials. Um, I swam, what, 53.09, which came fifth at our trials, but in any other country would have been an individual swim. <laughs> um, it's just insane and it just speaks to the depth of our 100 freestyle in in Australia and I feel really proud to have been a part of the group that's really built that um, for a long time me Kate and then Emma coming through as well into that group um, built that 100 freestyle is a very competitive event where you have to be well this time you have to be number one and three in the world in order to to make the um to make the cut of being the top two in the country. So um, that that's really spread into our relay and you see that with, with our relay swim. I mean, our, not to brag, but our, our heat swimmers, so I was one of them. So that's number three, four, five, and six in the country. The time we swam still would have won the Olympic finals, even without the top two, which is um, it's pretty in, insane to be part of that group. And the downside of that is that you don't get an individual spot when, when even though you're swimming very fast. But I was really happy with it. And then um, in the final of the relay, I let off and went another 53-0. So it's a good indication of, of where I was at, it's been a very hard road with injuries to get here. So I feel I was really happy with both those performances. I feel like they were, they were right at where my potential was, which is always nice when you don't feel like you've left anything in the pool. Seems nice. Uh, to give our listeners a little bit of context, <laughs> as you said, the, the, the prelims time that Australia put up would have won the final by, a, by over a second. 
they ended up winning the final by over three seconds, setting a world record in the 400 free relay at 329.69. Um, you, you, you mentioned the injuries. Um, the, in the last year and a half since the COVID-19 pandemic started, um, did, that ex- did that give you time for those injuries to heal? Did that exacerbate the, the mental strain and fatigue that the injuries caused? Um, how did how did you handle that within within this last year and with it with the extra Olympic year? Yeah, no, it was um it was actually good for me. I was um I was pretty sore at the start of twenty twenty, very sore. So when when the Olympics got postponed, I was initially very frustrated that I'd uh, <laughs> I'd sort of dragged myself through a lot of pain and suffering, and was getting to a point where I was actually able to train again. Um, but I did only have four months until the Olympics at that point. So I was very frustrated that I'd gone through all of that for nothing um, because a little bit of rest would have been very helpful, but it wasn't an option at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it possibly could have been a good thing. I don't know what would have happened in four months time. Um, if I, if I'd kept on training and 2020 had gone ahead as planned, but um, yeah, the initial postponement was very frustrating. And then, um, I was like, all oh, right, great. This is probably an opportunity for me to stop and reset and strip things back to bare minimum and sort of build everything back up again, which is just what I did, just spending the time rehabbing everything, making everything move a little bit better, trying to change those, those movement patterns that you get into when you're in pain all the time, when you're trying to protect something. Um, it's it's really hard to get out of those. So um, I really stripped everything back and when I was doing gym just focused on um, any movements that that weren't causing pain and anytime I was causing pain stopping that and restarting and it's really frustrating and really slow and I wouldn't have had the time to do that if um, if we didn't have the postponement so it was it was sort of like this gift that nobody really wanted but once I had it I was like okay this this gift of time <laughs> that I, I thought I only had four months to the Olympics but now I've got 18 months so I better um I better use it and I felt like I was able to do that um obviously the injuries are not going to go away for me it's all about managing them and I got to a much more manageable state uh coming into this game so yeah in some ways it was it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise I think always Olympics, especially Olympics more than um, world champs and Europeans and Panbacks and all those other meets um, is so much about timing, like adding on an extra year. So Meg Harris coming to the relay and Molly O'Callaghan for us, um, they're 17 and 19 and a year earlier, they really weren't performing at that level. And um, they had, they were probably just a little bit young and then one year later, they're, they're winning Olympic gold medals. So, um, yeah, a year makes a really big difference sometimes because Olympics is really, really all about timing. And for me, it was probably quite good timing. Seems like it. <laughs> it seems like all right timing. Uh, the, the, I mean, the rehab, that sounds insanely tedious. And, and as you said, a lot of work, a lot of stop and go. Um, how, how are you able to make that work, especially with, with all the lockdown policies that were in place and, and how long was it before you kind of felt like you were back to normal in a sense? 
Um, it took a really long time. I mean, the initial lockdown, we were probably eight weeks where we didn't have access to anything, um, which was fine. We knew we had a long time to get back. But I had um, had a, a rooftop on in my apartment complex, which I used and ordered in a chin-up bar to that. And you can do a lot with, with TheraBands and a, and a chin-up bar. Um, then they did actually open the beaches before they opened the, the pools. So... I was able to get out and swim a lot, which was great. I mean, it was winter, so it was pretty cold, but it was um, it was brilliant to be able to get in the water. And it probably took, I mean, with the gym stuff and stripping out strength in order to rebuild it, that that happened a bit later when I started working with um, a new gym coach who really took me through that, um, which was really good to have that, that one-on-one um, focus rather than just me trying to push myself as as much or as little as I wanted. Um, having someone else put the brakes on when you need to is, is sometimes really, really useful because the tendency is to go all out and to, to push as hard as you need to. So, I mean, rebuilding the gym realistically took until the end of the year. So it took quite a few months until I was back to the strength that I was before. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like quite a process. You, you, so you mentioned... Um, <clears throat> that you swim most days, either in the pool or in the ocean, even if you're not training. You mentioned ocean swims during quarantine. Um, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of success in the water, but you know, if you're swimming just in the ocean, um, just for fun, wh- what is it about that that's enjoyable to you? And what does that look like for you? Um, oh, there's so many, so many different ways to swim in the ocean. No, it's, um, I honestly think that there's just not I think anyone that lives close to the beach agrees with me. There's just, there's not a day that's so bad that just going and dunking yourself in the salt water afterwards won't fix it. Um, I mean, I live, I live just above Bondi beach. So um, that's a really, it's a great beach in, in many ways um, because it's got very many different things as in it's a pretty big wide bay. So you can start out quite deep and, um, do a bit of free diving or a bit of snorkeling and there's like there's beautiful spear fishing off the back like huge Atlantic salmon and um, it's um it's pretty amazing not Atlantic salmon Australian salmon Atlantic salmon the other side um, and like just just amazing like sea life there there's a little octopus that lives there and um, there's a seal that comes through and one day the us came out of the gym um, and looked out and there was all these dolphins in the bay. So I could be like ran down and swam out and you're swimming with the little dolphins and there's all these babies. And it's just, it's just so um, magic. Like one of my swims in quarantine, I was swimming along, there's a little turtle swimming and um, it's just, it's so, it's so beautiful. So you've got that, but then it does not all the time, but every now and again, it does get some good waves coming in. Um, there's normally some waves coming in. So you can always go play in the waves, bring your surfboard down or, um, or body surf or whatever you want. Sometimes it's it's proper big surf and um, sometimes it's flat exactly like a lake and you can just swim out over over the bay and it's it's real still and it's just peaceful. So it's got it's got a lot of different things going on for it. I love it. No kidding. Jeez. That's <laughs> I'm sold. I'm, I'll, I'll take it <laughs> as soon as possible. That sounds great. Man. It's, um, it's my favorite place. <laughs> I can I can see why swimming you why you have such a positive outlook on being in the water if you have 
a body of water like that. Have you, have you, how long have you lived there? Uh, I've been in Bondi for two years, two years, a little bit longer. Um, yeah, my, my partners lived there for five or six years. And so I was going down, I was living in Brisbane, he was living in Sydney. So I was going down for sort of two years very frequently before that. Yeah. Sounds nice. <laughs> Sounds nice. Uh, okay. So back to pool swimming. Um, this was your third Olympics. And, uh, and I'm guessing it was a pretty different experience, not only just because of the end of you not having individuals, you kind of, you, you hit on that, but um, obviously we were still in the pandemic. Um, but what did you make of just the team makeup? as a whole. Um, I know I've talked to quite a few people about the training camp and how you kind of had to flee to Cairns to get to the training camp, but then it was a pretty unique situation of not really having family around, not really having a lot of other distractions. Um, what stood out to you this year about the makeup of the team and, and how they, they were able to gel from your eyes? Yeah, I think, um, it was interesting because we didn't get to spend a lot of time together before coming together. Um, normally we'd see each other a lot more and that was something I really missed during the pandemic because we were very spread out, different states, no travel. Um, so we hadn't spent a lot of time together in that year coming in, but then um, we really had this opportunity to, to gel together. And um, yeah, like you said, we were, we were sort of forced into, forced into camp a bit early and everyone was trying really hard to, to get there. And I mean, there were some people um, like the guys from Perth, so like Tamsin Cook and Breath Russell and Zach and Serdy. They'd been away from home since April because they'd come over to the East Coast since then. And so, um, like you said, everyone's away from their, their friends and family and that gets very tiring. So we have to sort of become, become each other's family in a way because those support networks weren't really available to everyone. And um it really does feel like a big family. You, <laughs> there's the like the little annoying little brother sort of vibe on, on some of the boys, and um, I sort of turn into the mum of the team sometimes and try to look after the girls. And I don't know, it's just it's it's beautiful. The team really really gels well together, and that's I mean something we've been working on for quite a number of years, um, both sort of informally, but then pretty explicit and pretty. Um, pretty deliberate about it as part of the leadership group. It's something we really believe in as um, impacting not only people's performance, but in the end, someone's experience. That's, that's really the goal is trying to improve that experience on the team. And you never know where that's going to lead. Like someone brand new coming onto the team, if that experience is good, it's, um, it's in inspiring them to come back again. And you see people coming back for many, many years, whereas like we've actually seen in the past people have bad experiences on their first team and then not really wanting to go back there and that's a huge loss if, you, if you're losing out on that that talent and it's also not fair on that person but a huge dream so yeah it's something I, I really believe in and it's beautiful to see it come together I mean we saw beginnings of it in 2019 was probably a really good year for us as a team as well so to see that carry through even though we'd had some time apart was really great sounds really great that and 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 again i i uh i'm wondering what what you felt like your role was 
from 2012 when you were, are you 27 right now? Yeah. So you're yeah. the 18 and 12 uh, and then, you know, 22. I, I mean, I, it, it seems like your roles would be pretty different from, from Olympics to Olympics. Was that your experience? Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, in 2012, I was just, I turned 18, like two months before the games, I was just really young and learning things and um yeah you're, you're just sort of taking it all in it's all it's all very big um and then 2016 I was um coming in with a lot more pressure a lot more events to swim and that's sort of how you contribute to the team through your performances and that's sort of where all my energy went like very much challenged um, channeled into myself and into trying to get those performances um but then post that, so I wasn't, I wasn't on leadership or anything in, in 2016, but 2017, um, I was joined onto the athlete leadership group. So there's five of us now. There was six of us at one point. But um, and then that's quite a, quite a deliberate step into being like, okay, I want to contribute to the team in, in a different way as well as performances. And so coming into it this time was, was obviously very, very different. Like I said, I had a lot more time for it. Um, without having the individual events, but um, there was a lot that went into it beforehand. So yeah, my role on the team and experience has been so different. I mean, it's beautiful when, when the young ones ask like about your other Olympic experiences and you're sort of like, well, they're all so different that it's, it's great to have that experience behind you. But um, at the end of the day, one doesn't really inform the other because um, once every four years, is, is a really big time gap especially when you're a really young person and you're going to feel really differently about everything and have grown up such a such a lot well it's a short time you've grown up a lot in that short time I think it's funny that everyone's like oh my gosh we've only got three years until Paris the Paris 2024 Olympics which on one hand it's like wow yeah that's that's really soon but on the other hand it's like that's a lifetime right it's a, in to an athlete, you could be a completely different person, human athlete. You know, it's like, that's, um, it's still, it's still kind of a long time. And I think you, you hit on that of like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be the same no matter what. I don't think. Yeah. I agree. Three years is ages. Everyone who's like, oh, it's only three years away. I'm like, okay, remember what happened when they postponed the Olympics 18 months away, 18 months ago. And you were like, this is so long. It's, it's, oh, it's double that. So just remember that bit. It's, um, it is a funny comment. Lots of people are like, it's only three years away. Well, maybe when you're 18, three years isn't that long. But when you're 27, <laughs> three years is a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's a long time. A lot can happen, right? Especially for, for an athletic career, um, for someone who's, who's on the the older end to be an athlete um how do you how are, how are you feeling about where you're at with swimming right now yeah it's um I don't know I'm not sure yet that's something I was like oh, I'll think about that during quarantine and I haven't really come to a conclusion yet I'll just see how I go I mean for me I still love the sport um really I mean we've talked about it I really enjoy it just in general um I'm never not going to be a swimmer, I don't think. But um, I have been doing this. I mean, I 
qualified for my first team at 17 and now I'm 27 and I've been doing it for my whole adult life and it doesn't really give you time to do anything else and that's probably a big pull for me at the moment is that opportunity to go outside the pool and just discover what else is out there and do other things and you get to that point in your life where uh, all your peers are in proper careers or um, getting to do really different things from when you've, you've, you were first together when you were teenagers. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, having, having the time and the, and the energy to, um, I'll finish my uni degree at the end of this year and um, then I've got some work stuff lined up and um, whatever happens, like whatever I decide with, with swimming either way, I'll, um, I'll make it fit around the, the other things that I want to do in my life for a little while. Um, rather than my whole life revolving around swimming. Yeah. What What are the other things that you're interested in right now? Um, so I'm doing finishing my business degree. Um, I'm, it's a business degree majoring in PR. Uh, so I'll be doing some consulting work, seeing how I like that, um, looking at some sports management stuff, doing a bit of that. I don't... I don't 100% know which is part of the part of the urge to get out there and do something. It's it's hard to know what you like in in the work landscape without having the opportunity to do it. <laughs> um, I feel like your early 20s is normally quite an exploratory stage where you're figuring out like what that landscape looks like and how you fit into it. So um, I'm I'm not in my early 20s anymore, but looking forward to channeling that. 22 year old energy <laughs> my coffee and my tea all sorted <laughs> all right very good coffee and tea i know <laughs> i'm a coffee drinker actually but um i've got this like nifty little teapot that is kind of Ooh. fun and like pour from the bottom yeah. which got sent to me i'm not actually really into tea but i like the process of making that <laughs> yeah that seems nice i would i yeah. would probably use that too yeah uh what I, I have to ask all australians about coffee because i've heard it's way superior over there what what's your preferred coffee do you how how into it do you get are you at are you at uh, zach's doubly cooks level of of uh portioning out the amount of beans that you hand grind and then uh sealing them <laughs> Or Look, I I don't think anybody is on on Zach Stanley Cook's <laughs> level when it comes to coffee and food. That boy, he's just. I mean, I wish I was um sharing a balcony with him because he's been making coffee for people in the morning, and that sounds just brilliant. But no, I mean, I I, I like good coffee. I like my coffee. It's um, it's great. Might have a cappuccino, or a little piccolo, or a long black, depending on the day. Just go with what you feel. My um my genius stroke last year was to um, uh, buy my boyfriend a coffee machine for Christmas, mm -hmm. which is actually present for me because now he makes coffee every morning. So um, would recommend. Um, and I got brownie points for for it as well, which is great. So I get coffee every morning, and I'm the best girlfriend ever. So that was that was my stroke of genius last year. I was proud of that one. That's a, that's a devious plan. Good on you. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Using my skills for good. <laughs> uh, okay. Hold on. I have, I have questions. You say a piccolo. 
Oh yeah. What do you what do you call that? Um, like it's like it's like an americano basically. Oh okay. Yeah. Got it. Except no milk. Right, right. It's basically so, a shot of coffee. Yeah, espresso with hot but water. With a little bit it. more. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I wish we called it a piccolo instead of an americano. Is there a reason you cut like because a piccolo is like a tiny flute, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not having a tiny fruit uh, flute for breakfast. I think piccolo just means small in um in Italian. And oh, um okay. yeah, I think that's I don't I don't actually know why we call it that. I mean in Australia we also have you guys don't have flat whites, do you? Well, uh, I think at some places you can get flat white. Oh you do? Yeah. Because that um that started in Australia because it's like it's um it's basically like a, a cappuccino but with without the the froth so it's like the same amount of milk but you're getting the flat milk at the bottom you're not getting the frothy milk at the top mm-hmm. and so, yeah that was um that was an Australian invention where they're like oh I want I want a cappuccino but I want it I want it flat <laughs> I don't want it like poofy <laughs> and um that's where that one came from which was pretty it's pretty hilarious that that's um flat white I, I, I mean I haven't been to America for a long time but I did used to drink flat whites I remember trying to order one and they were like you want what and I was like flat white <laughs> I don't feel like this is normal um but I don't I also don't want to be a coffee stop and be like and you're like oh your coffee's superior I don't I don't go around thinking our coffee's superior I think it's just different like obviously the coffee cultures are very different in the two countries um American coffee is a lot, a lot more milkier, not, not as much into the, the milky stuff, but that doesn't mean it's worse. I don't want to be like some sort of big old snob that's like your coffee's worse because it's different. Um, yeah, I am, I am someone who's into less milky drinks too, which is why I like talking to Australians about coffee because they always seem to be informed about the less milkier drinks. No judgment passed on American <laughs> coffee. Uh, also, what's a, you said a long black or a tall black, a long black? Oh, yeah, a long black. I think that might be a, a tall black. Um, yeah, like, it's just, it's, long black, I think might be, often it's two shots. It's like, yeah, and then just, it's just a black coffee, basically, with, with extra water in it. It's like a full cup of coffee with one shot, or if it's in like a 12 ounce one, then two shots like you put you have a cup of coffee and then you put a shot of espresso in it no like you have like um you have your espresso shot and then you just fill up the rest with water oh okay yeah so it's like a piccolo but with more water yes got it no it's not a great coffee though you heard of the magic coffee the magic no magic coffee um i'm gonna have to remember the exact portions I mean, sometimes I'm I'm that person that orders a three quarter <laughs> coffee because <laughs> you don't want like a full one. You only want three quarters of it. Oh, I but a magic coffee is, I think a magic coffee is one and a half shots in a in a three quarter um, cup. <laughs> don't ask. It's apparently the the magic. I, I'm not going to get the ratios right. Sometimes I just ask for one. It's um, but it's um, it's supposed to be the the perfect ratios of um, coffee shot to to milk to um, water in 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 a cup. I didn't decide that. That's that's a thing that we've decided as a society. <laughs> this this amount of caffeine 
and lack and lactate will get you to enlightenment is what i'm hearing pretty much yes it's the coffee for enlightenment <laughs> <laughs> nice magic coffee i'm gonna have to put that one in my back pocket uh okay. be careful where you go and ask for a magic coffee <laughs> They might put something else in it. That's yeah, that's a good point. I I feel like in America I'd probably just get some weird looks, especially in Texas. They'd be like, Yeah, Yeah, probably don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay, so I wanted to talk to you about coffee, which we did. I also wanted to this is the whole reason why I wanted to do this podcast. Obviously, you're you're an amazing swimmer, you're a very storied sprinter. And I was excited to talk to you, but you wrote a poem <laughs> that, uh, that I think it was Cam McAvoy shared um, on his Instagram. Uh, and you read it to the Australian Olympic team. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it in the description to this, uh, to this podcast if people are interested in it. But I read it and I almost, I like tears came to my eyes. Uh, it was, it was very powerful, very impassioned. Um, can you tell me about the, the, the writing this poem and, uh, and, and how you got, were you just like, Hey, I want to read this to the team and uh, the reactions it got. Cause, cause I just want to hear everything about it. Oh, that's so nice. Um, Thank you. That's that makes feel that makes feel really good that I made you cry. Um, <laughs> I'm not sadistic at all. No, I mean I've actually I've been doing that since 2013. So I always write a lot and used to write a lot of poetry. I don't actually write that much anymore. But um, yeah, in 2013 I wrote something, and then at the end of the meet, um, my sister sort of forced me into into reading it out. She actually went and showed it to the team manager and was like, oh, I think like the rest of the team should hear this. Anyway, so then I started writing one for the last the last um, meeting before we go into um, competition, so that last full team meeting before it all starts, you know. So, yeah, I've, I've written one every year for the team since since 2013. Um, but, yeah, this, I mean, this one was particularly special because it had been such a, such a long time in between. And... <laughs> It was very funny because I got up to I got up to read it and um, I was I said before I started reading it I was like oh like I normally do this poem blah blah, blah. And I was like oh this this might be my last like oh my god I shouldn't have said that because then I started crying and then like most of the team starts crying because <laughs> like you know when one person starts crying it gets a bit contagious it's so, like most people are crying and. Um, and then I somehow got got through the rest of the poem, but um, I mean, it's just it's just a thing that I was doing anyway. Like I was always writing, and then to be able to share that with the team, it seems to um to resonate with some people. So um, I've always kept doing it. That's cool. Uh, did what, did you get like a, a standing ovation? Was the team, I mean, if everyone's crying already, I mean, man, that's. It, it sounds like such a such a bonding experience. I mean, what does it mean to you to be able to to give something like that to to the whole national team? Yeah, it's um, I've never really 
thought about it in that way, but it is nice to, I mean, when I'm sitting down and writing it, I'm thinking about the team and I'm thinking about what it means to me and I'm thinking about what this meet means to them and how to put that in in words. So it's um it's it's always been a really, a really nice thing for me to do. And it feels like my little my little gift to them. And then I mean the whole world's embracing vulnerability at the moment and how good that is for for building something. So it's well like I did not I did not plan on crying in front of everybody, in front of all my teammates. Um it was a nice moment and got a lot of got a lot of um got a lot of hugs after that, which I think everybody needs before before a meet starts anyway. So uh yeah, it's it's always been something I've um yeah very very deliberately sat down and and thought about how to how to set the tone for it so it's uh yeah it's nice that I get to do that that that's cool uh thank you for sharing your insight and your creative process I I appreciate it and it was that was a that was a really cool thing to see it was for me personally it was just a great reminder that (laughs) that people who swim fast are so three-dimensional and, and have so much else going on besides the fact that they can swim really fast, <clears throat> um, which, which is it's a good, probably a good reminder for most people. Uh, so Bronte, just moving forward into these next few months, obviously, first things first, you're gonna, you, you get to go home soon. Um, and then if I'm not mistaken, you got, you got drafted onto an ISL team. Um, so what are the next few months look like for you in and out of the pool yeah um drafted onto la current this year so i'll be i'll be heading back to sydney soon it is going to be a little bit tricky because all the pools in sydney are shut (laughs) um so getting lane space will be quite difficult but um i mean I've been doing this a very long time and it comes back pretty quickly. So as long as I'm able to get in the water um, before I'm, I'm heading over, uh, I think that second round is in Eindhoven. I'm not doing the, the first round of ISL. Um, so those have to turn around pretty much as soon as they got home. So I'm looking to go um, for that November um, cluster, that second round. So yeah, just, that was just something to, to sort of keep me going and, um, keep me in contact with the water while I'm figuring out what, what I'm doing long term. But I'm doing um, I'm doing full time um, university and finishing off my business degree. That's my that's my goal, and that should be all done by the end of October. So I thought I was going to do lots of it in quarantine, and I have not done very much. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> I'll just have to work hard when I get home. <laughs> Nice. Well, that, that, that sounds like a busy schedule. Um, Bronte, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat today. Uh, I'm, I'm glad the quarantine has gone well, and it's really great to get your perspective on a lot of things in and out of swimming. Uh, any parting thoughts for our audience before we sign off today? Oh, no, no parting thoughts. Just hope everyone's doing well. <laughs> I know it's been a really tough time. It's been been weird hasn't it but kind of unifying that everyone's going through something so everyone's been a bit more compassionate than normal which i really like it's not really a thought but just just hope everyone's doing all right (laughs) you've been listening to the swim swam podcast 
Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.